From APM American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. Though pressure on the K-12 school system to do better has been mounting for decades, there is little evidence that wide-scale improvements are taking hold. A recent paper argues that the lack of progress is because American education holds teachers accountable in a system that fails students. The paper says education is caught in a downward spiral where tension between policymakers and practitioners ends up damaging students and sabotaging reform. Our guest on the podcast this week says it doesn't have to be this way. He argues the United States can build a new system, in part by learning from countries that outperform it on international tests. Joel Mehta is a professor at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. His paper is called From Bureaucracy to Profession, Remaking the Educational Sector for the 21st Century. I spoke to him in his office at Harvard. Well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. You write that there is so much reform and so little change. What do you mean? We have pursued uh, charters, vouchers, standards-based reform, more money, more accountability, uh, and yet the results remain uh, largely unchanged in terms of uh, student outcomes. Essentially, we're trying to fix through external accountability and testing what we never created through building a kind of strong expert profession. So we're kind of trying to fix on the back end uh, what we never really created the system for on the front end. So teachers just aren't being prepared in an effective way, it sounds like. Um, I think that's part of it. I think like any kind of craft or profession, though most of the learning doesn't actually happen in the training. Most of the training happens on the job over the period of years. And so in part, it's also about the kind of structures we have for uh, ongoing learning. So just to take one statistic, high school teachers in Japan or, uh, or South Korea teach 500 to 600 hours a year, and American teachers teach about 1,100 hours. The Japanese and South Korean teachers use basically the other half of their schedule to meet other teachers and plan and try to figure out what would work for Johnny or Jane or the Japanese or South Korean equivalent of Johnny or Jane. Uh, I think training is part of it, but in part it's about a a structure that doesn't really create time for serious learning. You've identified um, sort of a structural problem in how things that seem to work on a local level don't make it to scale. And I wonder if you can explain that. Sure. So our our general uh, pattern is that somebody gets really excited about some idea. Like, let's say it's like cooperative learning or something like that. And, you know, a foundation and a school and a principal and a bunch of teachers get excited about it and they do it in a particular place. And because of the sort of the knowledge, the investment uh, of people in that place, Uh, It seems to go well. There's a lot of excitement. Students are excited. Maybe test scores go up. Who knows? But then what happens is that policymakers or somebody in a larger unit see, oh, well, you know, cooperative learning is the silver bullet. And they say, everybody in our district should do cooperative learning. And And then they hire an evaluation firm to do an evaluation. And those evaluations almost always show that the results were mixed, that in some sites it went really well and in a lot of other sites it didn't go so well. And then they try to isolate the characteristics of those sites and make that the basis of the next round of policies. Uh, but then the same pattern just uh, starts starts over. So I, I do think we have a sort of you know, program silver bullet kind of culture. And I think we need, that's why I talk a lot about sort of systems, like what would it mean to build a system where you know, you had to graduate in the top third of your college class to become a teacher, where training was a lot longer, where there was really serious time for teachers to collaborate and learn. How can you make that kind of systemic reform in a nation where school policy is set 
district by district, state by state, and there isn't really a national coordination? Oh, that is a tough, tough question. You have to find partners who are willing to we're willing to try things for better or worse, common core state standards. You know, that's our nation's way of responding to our very decentralized uh, legacy. There are 46 states that have signed on to that. If you'd asked me or any other kind of ed policy expert 10 years ago if that would, po- would be possible, we would have said no. No way that you would get 46 states to sign on for anything. How optimistic are you about the way the common core is rolling out and what its potential may be? It's a really serious opportunity. The problem is that um, to achieve that will require lots of changes. Teachers may need to learn some new content. They'll need to learn how to reteach things that they uh, previously have taught. And that will require both sort of unlearning and then learning things anew. And this is all happening at a sort of moment in time where there's sort of shaky political support for Common Core there's not much money available to do additional training, um, and we're in a really heightened climate of teacher evaluation and accountability. So, like, I would think if you wanted to take a sort of like man to the moon step in terms of our learning, you would build it over a few years. You would put a lot of money into sort of training and retraining and helping teachers learn from each other what's working and what's not. And you would relax accountability pressures for some period of time while this kind of learning and unlearning was going on. But we seem to be doing the opposite. We're, we're trying to push the policy forward at a moment at which the preconditions for the policy to succeed, which as you point to your earlier point, being a very decentralized nation, it's going to be hard for the policy to succeed in any, set, in any case because it's just really difficult to devise any set of tests that will reliably measure students if you're not specific about what content they're supposed to have mastered to do those uh, tests since the content gets set at the local level and then the standards are at the state or the national level. Uh, that creates a real uh, pickle. So it was always going to be hard, but the way that we're trying to do it right now is making it uh, doubly hard. So the answer is there isn't really a good answer here in the U.S. and how to do it systematically. You have to, you have to be encouraging, but that's, that's hoping for a lot of goodwill. There are a kind of series of organizations that bring together different uh, states and different actors across the profession to, uh, to make progress on an issue. So just to take one around the sort of teacher preparation, you know, in the last year, the uh, AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, and the NEA, the National Education Association, so the two big teachers unions, and the Council of Chief State School Officers, who are the lead school officers in their states, all three of those have re- released reports saying we should raise the bar for entering teachers. We should make it harder to become a teacher. There should be longer training. To get tenure should mean more than it means currently. It's not the case that any one person, you know, Arnie Duncan can't wait with his wand and make change. But if you make a sort of concerted argument that there is a particular set of problems in schools and then you get enough of these different actors on board, you could see some larger scale change. How open to change do you feel the teachers' unions have been? I feel like in some ways they have been very averse to change, the NEA more than the AFT. Classic examples are things like, 
you know, the district proposes we want an extra 45 minutes to do this with the kids who are most struggling. And the union says, like, we won't give another minute unless you renegotiate the contract. Or, you know, teachers propose they want to do X and unions say you can't do that because then other teachers would feel pressured to do that. And it's really hard to have a successful uh, industry in those uh, kinds of circumstances. But on the other hand, um, if you look around the world, the countries that do the best on the international rankings have fairly large and strong uh, teachers unions. If you want to develop policies that are going to be good in the long run and not just the short run, they need to be good for both students and teachers. Like frequently say that one of the kind of design principles if we were starting over in a system is like this has to be a system where if you were a sort of talented young man or woman, you would want to work in this system for a long period of time. You need to have enough autonomy, discretion, time, money, et cetera, uh, to make it sustainable. And uh, you know, unions really, uh, in some ways, uh, help with a lot of that, because uh, if you think that teachers are poorly paid now, you should have seen what they were paid before they unionized. You've suggested that um, reformers should actually slow down their pace in order to get it right. We're moving too fast? It's like Obama said in his inaugural, you know, these things are old, these things are true. You know, there are some characteristics of what really good schools look like. Care, compassion, intelligence, thoughtfulness, depth, um, complexity. And, uh, you know, to build a whole system that embodied those characteristics is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen because we, you know, we embrace this fad or that fad. The average uh, number of initiatives that a superintendent does in three years is 12, like 12 major initiatives every three years. And the average tenure of a, of a given superintendent is three years. So that means if you're a teacher that every, you know, every three years you get 12 new initiatives and the next three years you get the next 12 initiatives. And it's just really hard to imagine how anything is going to improve at that rate. The, the places where we've seen success, both internationally and in the U.S., Generally, there's been some stable leadership over the period of six, eight, ten years, and people have sort of pursued a steady course, and so that seems like the, the kind of wiser way to go. In addition to expecting more of and providing more for teachers earlier in, the, earlier in their careers, any other particular um, reform you see that is sort of sitting there has a lot of opportunity to make a lot of positive change without the kind of churn that you're referring to? I think assessment is an interesting uh, category. Um, the, the sort of national group of psychometricians released a report last year saying, if we want kids to move towards higher order skills, we can't keep measuring them on simple multiple choice bubble tests. And what should replace that is very complicated from a psychometric perspective. And we don't even necessarily, even as the experts on this, have all the answers yet. But it's hard to imagine progress uh, without uh, reconceiving it. We have a 20th century system awaiting uh, the 21st century. So if you really gave me my druthers, I would say, you know, we need to change the assessments. We need to change the use of time. We potentially in high school we could change the subjects. Like, is it really necessary? Like, is it really English, history, chemistry, and biology? What about astronomy, political science, economics, statistics? Like, we could sort of. I'm not saying that the old subjects were bad. I'm just saying that we just have the subjects that we picked a century ago, and it would be worth having another conversation about uh, what the right uh, subjects are. Technology could be used to help personalize learning. So one could imagine just sort of across a whole series of dimensions. Uh, if we looked up in 10 or 15 years, uh, you know, schools could look pretty different than they look right now. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. 
That was Joel Mehta, a professor at Harvard's Graduate School of Education and the author of two books about long-term school reform. We met at his office in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You can find more podcasts about school reform and a range of issues in K-12 and higher education at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, browse our archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage. That's AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.